It is a real privilege to be with you again only a few months later. And what seemed for my family for a long time to be a very long year is quickly starting to draw to a close. Uh, probably on the 3rd, 4th, 5th of January, right around there, we will fly back to Namibia. By God's grace, uh, we'll plant a church there, as we've spoken about. If you want to hear more about that, I'm going to leave that for afterwards so that you uh, don't feel like you already got all the information you need. Uh, the word that we will be uh, reading this morning and considering together is from Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me, please, to Mark chapter 2, and uh, I will read the first 12 verses for us. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Speaking of Jesus. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately... Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Luciano Pavarotti was a world-renowned Italian opera singer. He actually may still be one of the most well-known opera singers ever to walk the earth. And in 1999, he came to South Africa, and he was planning on holding a concert uh, right in front of essentially our Capitol building. It's called our Union Buildings. I think there's a picture somewhere. There it is. Um, quite an old one. And the place of the stage was decided where they were going to have this, this concert, um, the grass fields that you can see right there in front of these, uh, this building was, was ready to host people. But they realized that they had a bit of a problem. There's a tree right in the middle on the grass fields, uh, right in front of the buildings. And this tree posed a problem because about 350 seats would be behind this tree and would have no view of the stage. There's a more modern picture. The next one, you can see the tree is still there. Um, and this was a real problem for them in 99. They did not know what to do. And this tree is a memorial tree. I could not find out what memorial it was for, 
But in 1999, I was the paper boy. Just trust me. I read the newspaper. It was, it, they had a problem with this tree, and they did not know what to do. So people started making plans. We should just move the stage. Well, no, then we would lose more than 350 seats. Okay, how about we uproot the tree and move it, and we'll bring it back later? Again, no, it's a memorial tree. It could die. We want to we keep our tree there. What about if we change the venue? We move to another place. Again, the answer came, no. The location here was chosen exactly because it was commemorating five years of South African independence and the abolition of apartheid. And so they were asking all the wrong questions. They could not come up. They thought they had the best solutions, but still they had no solution that was um, workable. For them. And finally, the South African National uh, Council for the Blind bought all 350 seats and they donated them to blind people who had an interest in going. This morning, we will look at a group of friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus by making their own plans as well. They saw in their friend a problem. He was lame, and they thought what he needed most was to bring him to Jesus so that Jesus could heal him. And Jesus would, but only after forgiving the lame man of his sins. You see, Jesus had a different solution. He was asking different questions, more eternal questions. And Jesus knew that what that man needed was the forgiveness of his sins much more than temporary earthly healing. And here my, my illustration fails because the best solution in the case of this concert was still a man-made solution. It was still something that we thought of. What Jesus offered was the gospel. The friends were asking the wrong questions, but Jesus would come with the ultimate solution in every way. So this morning we will see that Jesus is not only able to heal, which has temporary and earthly benefit and is no doubt miraculous, but a much more miraculous and gracious truth is that he is able and has authority to forgive sins, which is the one greatest and only eternal need that we have in this life. So may we not primarily run to Jesus for what we think we need, but may we, uh, may we rather rest in him to do not only what is most necessary for our souls, but also what would bring him the most glory. Amen. I am aware of my need uh, for the Lord's help. And so before we jump into the first point, would you just pray for me, with me for a moment? Lord, I thank you that we can turn to your word and know that you have much to say. You want to speak to our hearts and souls. I pray as we dive into Mark 2 now, Lord, that you would speak and illuminate your word, that we would hear, that we would understand what it is that you are claiming for us and on us and what we are to do by your power uh, because of your word. So Lord, protect me from error. Help me to preach your word well. And I pray that you would just um, make your word this morning be very fruitful in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Point one, I have titled, Jesus Prioritizes the Preaching of the Word. And if you'll look at, with me at verses one and two again, we can look, Jesus prioritizes the preaching of the, word, of the word, verses 1 and 2. 
And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So our text begins by talking about Jesus being back home. He's back in Capernaum. And if you had read the previous chapter, Mark chapter 1, you will have seen that Jesus has been very busy. He's been traveling through villages, preaching, healing, calling disciples. He's home now. And if it had been you or me, we would have probably preferred a few rest days. A week of siestas. Give me a break. I'm recovering from my outreach. I'll I'll get to you guys later. But that is not what Jesus did. As soon as the report went out that Jesus was home, people gathered and Jesus immediately began to preach the word to them. Jesus was an incredible example to us of hospitality, love, and care. When some peace and quiet may actually have been preferred. Jesus' desire to address the souls of his sheep outweighed his preference for personal comfort. And it's also striking to hear that with Jesus back home, that the people came and pressed in around him is what the text says. And the text says there was no more room, not even at the door of the house. And if you consider at a similar occasion, just a few verses earlier, Mark 1.33, it says, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, when a city gathers at your house, not only is there not room at the door, there's no room anywhere around the property. There's no room anywhere, not even at the door. But the point was that people gave Jesus no room no rest. They pressed in because they did not want to miss anything. And so we have to ask the question, why? Why are people so eager to hear him? Why are they pressing into that house that morning in mass? And while I'm sure that there were many people who were there that truly wanted to hear the gospel, they wanted to hear Jesus' teaching about the fact that um, the the kingdom of God was at hand. However, most likely, there were also many there who wanted to see miracles. They were there because they've heard of the miracles that Jesus had been performing. And they're coming and they're pressing in because they don't want to miss a miracle. Because let's be honest, if Jesus was teaching at another church this morning in Fredericksburg, I'd be preaching to empty pews, right? I think my mom would be here. Um, <laughs> She might be alone because I'd go with all of you. We would all go, right? If Jesus was somewhere else, we wouldn't want to miss a thing. We would want to be there. And I think for many of those here, they wanted to see the miraculous, the supernatural. And then others again, as we will see in just a bit, were there as skeptics. They were there mainly to keep an eye on Jesus and catch him out the moment he might say something that offended their traditions or their sensibilities. But Jesus, coming back from a missionary journey, being at home, prioritizes preaching the word. And the the reason why Jesus prioritizes the word is because John 1.1 reminds us he is the word, right? John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This word is Jesus. 
And so it should not be surprising at all that Jesus, the word incarnate, was prioritizing preaching that word to his people. He knew that this is what those people needed. He knew it is what we need. About uh, a year ago now, just before we came to, uh, to the States for this year, um, I was with some other OM colleagues, and we had a very distinct privilege of delivering 130 mattresses. I think there's some pictures that you can throw up. 130 mattresses to a small boarding school in the south of Namibia. Uh, that school has roughly 220 kids. They were averaging three and a half kids per mattress. Most of their mattresses were roughly an inch thick. Um, and so we had this opportunity to go and deliver new mattresses, high quality mattresses. And as moving as it was to deliver these mattresses to these kids, we knew that this merely took care of an earthly, temporal need. I am not saying it was unimportant, as this was clearly a way to be Jesus' hands and feet, showing the love of Jesus in a practical way. But if that was all we did that day, it would not have been very loving of us. If we made no effort to, by God's grace, introduce them to Jesus Christ, who can forgive sins, we would have missed an opportunity. And again, don't get me wrong. Is it good and loving to take care of earthly needs? Yes. Is it the most loving thing we could do for other people? No. So the mattresses met an immediate need, but the children's need to know Jesus was immeasurably greater. And so by God's grace, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with those kids. And not only on that day, but many months leading up to it as well. That was talking to them about Jesus was the most loving thing we were able to do for them. And for these people crammed into this house with Jesus in Capernaum, because Jesus loves them so much, he prioritizes preaching the word because he is concerned for their eternal souls. For Jesus, there could be no comparison between serving them with the word or serving them to take care of an earthly need. Jesus preached the word because it contains all we need in order to be made wise for salvation and equipped for every good work, according to 2 Timothy 3. And so, brothers and sisters, I believe the exhortation for us would be that with our Bibles in hand, that we not underestimate the importance of sharing this with others and the importance of this word for our own lives. Because it's only by the truths of this book that we believed, came to faith, and it is only by the truths of this book that others can do the same. They can only come to faith when they hear this. Therefore, let us make time in our own lives, spend time with God and also make a priority to spend time with our Savior through reading what he has given us in his word. I said earlier that Jesus was a dynamic teacher, and if he was teaching somewhere else, we all would not be here, but we would be there. And we may not have been able to press into that house on that day, but brothers and sisters, we can press into God's word today. And although we don't hear Jesus teaching in person today, this word is alive. He still teaches us just as much from his word today as he did on that day. 
in person. Everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord by his grace is captured for us in this word. May the Lord help us to run to it for the answers we need daily. And I think when we do, we will start to see and find things that may surprise us, which brings me to the second point. Jesus responds unexpectedly. He responds unexpectedly. Verses 3 to 5. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Have you ever taken a moment just to consider what it meant for these four friends to get their friend to Jesus? Consider first that, again, they couldn't get near the doorway. There was no room, not even at the door. No one had compassion on this lame man. No one made way for him to be able to get to Jesus. So these friends decide to severely vandalize this house in which Jesus was preaching by carrying their friend to the roof. Now, if you've ever helped a friend carry a bed up one story, imagine having a bed that has to be carried upright because someone's laying on it up a flight of stairs. It could not have been easy. And even when they got him up to the roof, imagine deciding to demolish the roof. Imagine Jesus preaching, people pressing in on him. And this roof was probably made of some mixture of wood and hay and mud or clay. And you start seeing stuff just falling from the sky as they break open. And they had to get the bed through there, so they didn't just make a small opening. They broke the roof completely so that this friend could be let down on his bed. And that might just be the most daring of all, to be this paralytic laying on this bed, being lowered into a holy gathering as Jesus, the Son of God, is preaching. Everybody trying to quiet him down, him apologizing, sorry guys, sorry, sorry, Jesus, keep going, I can talk to you afterwards. Jesus looking at him saying, what's the problem? He goes, my legs, I, 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 I can't walk, I need, I need help. And then Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. And in this moment, I have to also just take a, a moment to think about the, friend, the people who were there, who were there to see a miracle. They came mainly to see something extraordinary, something supernatural. And Lord, here's a, lay, here's a lay man. Here you go. This is the opportunity. This is what I told you we were coming for. We're, we're here to see this. Lord, we hope you do something so amazing that we cannot believe our eyes. And instead, Jesus does something that they cannot perceive with their eyes. He forgives the lay man. Now, can anyone here show us that your sins are forgiven? It's not something we can see with our eyes. We cannot prove it. There's no way for us to know whether someone has been forgiven. So Jesus, again, does not indulge the crowd by doing what they mainly thought they needed, what they thought they wanted, what they thought was the most necessary, because Jesus does something unexpected. 
they were asking the wrong questions. But Jesus instead shows himself to be the true Messiah, a true servant, serving us with the word and also forgiving our sins. Could Jesus just have forgiven the man's sins? Uh, uh, could, the, could Jesus just have healed the brother from the beginning? Of course he could. But that was not the most loving thing that he could do for him. Because whether this brother knew it or not, he had an eternally and monumentally bigger problem in his life that he did not even know or ask for. Healing of his physical state would have brought him no closer to eternal life. But the forgiveness of his sins meant that he was right with God. It secured eternity in the presence of his creator for him. That was the most loving thing that Jesus could do for the paralytic. Because you see, Jesus knows that our greatest needs are his word, which we looked at in point one, and how Jesus uncompromisingly insisted on teaching that word. But Jesus, after preaching, then saw the physical need of this lame brother who had just made this very startling entrance and knew that his greatest need whether he asked for it or not, whether he was aware of that need or not, was for his sins to be forgiven. And brothers and sisters, isn't that just the gospel? Isn't that Jesus living out the gospel? Though we did not know it, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, though we could do nothing for ourselves, we could not even ask for a savior. Jesus humbles himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross, and he died in your place and mine. He dies for your sins and mine. He does for us that which we could not do for ourselves and many times do not even know we need so that we too might be right with God and be assured of an eternal audience with the one who created us in our mother's wombs. What a mighty God we serve Jesus not only taught the gospel in words, he lived it out in his actions towards his brother by doing for him that which he could not do for himself and indeed doing for him something that was much more miraculous than a physical healing. And then coming back to the four friends for a moment, they had faith. Jesus says he saw their faith. So at the very least, we know that it included the four friends. It could be the faith of the paralytic himself as well. But definitely the Lord saw their faith. Faith for what? Faith for a miraculous healing. Lord, heal our friend. We're going we're gonna to break open this house. We're going to lower him down. This is what we have faith for, Jesus. We have faith for you to heal our friend. And Jesus, seeing their faith for a healing, decided to forgive him of his sins. They had faith for this. Jesus gave them this. And so we see that their faith did not somehow twist Jesus' arm. They were not guaranteed of any sure outcome. All these four friends could do in the end was simply to place their friend in the midst of Jesus and stand back and trust that God would do whatever he would do for his glory and for our good. And so I ask the question, do we have friends 
or family or neighbors, relationships that we need to bring to the Lord in prayer or even physically? Are there relationships that we need to lay at Jesus' feet, metaphorically speaking? Is there someone that we know we need to share the gospel with? Is there someone we know we're supposed to invite to church or to a community group? Are you living in a certain way around other non-believers that makes them see Jesus? Do we need to change how we live around others so that they can see Jesus in us? Do we have faith for the salvation of parents or siblings or children or friends? Do we pray for them? Do we believe that Jesus is a God of compassion who has authority over all of his creation? Are we willing to bring our friends and family and neighbors to Jesus even at great cost to ourselves? Because that's all these four friends ultimately did. And then they trusted in the goodness of a savior to do whatever he would do for his glory. Brothers and sisters, this church, any church, the church of Christ, is not only about being a bunch of people who know and love Jesus enough to press in so that there's no more room at the doors. We have the opportunity to bring those people who have no ability to do it for themselves, who are not seeking, who do not even need who do not even know their need for a savior into Jesus's presence. And we can do that here by inviting people to church. We can do it where we live, where we buy groceries, where we go to the gym. When we sit in DMV lines, we are able to present Jesus to people. And just like these friends did, we can then trust in a savior, to our savior, to do what only he can do in forgiving and transforming lives. Let us not hold back the opportunity, the mandate we have in doing what these four friends did, in bringing the paralytic, the friend, the family member who needs Jesus to him, and then trusting Jesus to do whatever he will do for his glory. Let us not let any opportunity pass. And then in our story, in our text this morning, a question was raised. Because at this point, no one knew whether the lame man's sins actually had been forgiven. They couldn't see it. It wasn't like they could see him change in any particular way. And this uncertainty translated into not knowing whether Jesus was who he claimed to be. And this then leads us to the third and final point. Jesus heals to prove his authority as the son of God. Jesus heals to prove his authority as the son of God. Uh, you can read with me verses 6 through 12. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So in verses 6 and 7 particularly, we see the scribes questioning in their hearts, not out loud, why Jesus was forgiving sins. Because they believed that only God can forgive sins. And they were right. Only God can forgive sins. So the point is not that the scribes had a wrong heart or mind towards God and his laws, but rather that they were so blinded by jealousy and traditions to the point that they did not know they were in the very presence of God. They were asking the wrong questions. You see, the problem was not that they doubted the work. They doubted the worker. And here lies the amazing difference between the friends and the scribes. The scribes believed in forgiveness. They just didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so they doubted the worker. The four friends, on the other hand, had faith for a healing. They had faith for this healing, for their friend. And Jesus instead forgave the friend. Why? Because Jesus was not responding to the four friends' faith for a particular work. Jesus was responding to their faith in who he was and is. Contrary to the scribes, the friends believed Jesus was the son of God. They had faith in Jesus as God incarnate. And that meant that Jesus answered a different, totally different and eternal question. They were not even asking. In our own lives, we may not always understand why the Lord is allowing certain things. We may not always have faith in why God is allowing circumstances to linger, like trials, tribulations, lingering sins, hardship, false accusations, physical and spiritual attacks. But like these friends, I believe we can always have faith in the fact that he is a good God whose ways are higher than our own, The scribes' shortcoming is not in what they failed to believe. It was in whom they failed to believe. And so because of the lack of the faith of the scribes and who Jesus was, Jesus decides to show them twice, actually, that he is, in fact, who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God. He shows, or rather, proves his divinity to them the first time when he spoke to their thoughts, Can you imagine listening to a speaker and in your heart, in your mind, you think of something? Why is he saying these things? Only God can do that. And the speaker turns to you, looks you dead in the eye, points you out, and out loud says, why do you question this in your hearts? The fact that he speaks to and rebukes their thoughts should have been their first sign that this just might actually be God. This just might be the Messiah. And now before we move on, I I think it's important for us to pause for a moment here. Uh, And I feel compelled to interject that a thought to those of us who may feel a lack of faith for a particular circumstance in our own lives. And you're listening to me saying that Jesus is about to heal this lame man as a sign to prove his divinity. And this may cause us to want the same proof. 
we too maybe tend to, like so many on that day, to want an outward work, a visible work that proves to us that Jesus is here, that he sees and understands my situation, and that he's going to resolve my situation in a way that I find favorable. Friends, our faith cannot be in anything but what Jesus has revealed himself to be from his word, that he is a Messiah, a Savior, a provider, a promise keeper, a gracious one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, the beginning and the end. That, Jesus, we can trust implicitly. That is a sure foundation of our faith. But if we, like so many on that day, are more amazed and intrigued and desire an outward physical work as a proof more than anything, that becomes shifting sands. Our Jesus, on the other hand, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we can trust him for whatever situation we may be facing right now. So Jesus turns to these people thinking in their minds. And he asks them, why do you question in your heart? What is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? And really what he's saying to them is, what would be more profound what would be more miraculous to you to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk and actually the forgiveness of sins is eternally more miraculous and profound but they could not see it and they were so bent on what they came there to see an outward proof that they preferred a physical miracle rather than an eternal and internal one of the heart. And so Jesus healed the lame man to show his divinity a second time. As if to say to the scribes, oh, you of little faith, you can't see it and so you don't believe, but let me show you something you can see with your eyes so that you may know that I am the Son of God. That you can know thereby that I am who I've proclaimed to be. And because I am fully God, I also then have authority to forgive sins. And that I am to be worshipped as Messiah. And now let me ask you a question. And this illustration works a little bit better uh, in South Africa. But who of you believe that there's a pulpit up here? All of you, I'm pretty sure. Um, You probably believe it. Because you know it, you can see this pulpit. But if I asked you, do you believe whether your car is still outside? You could say with 99.9% assurance you think it's there, but you don't know that it's still there, especially if you were in Africa. Um, (laughs) You can't see your car. You hope it's there. You're pretty sure it's there, but you don't know that it's there. And it seems the scribes would only believe in what they could see. God, however, calls us to have faith in the unseen. And to just prove exactly that point again, how did the people respond? It says they were amazed and said, we never saw anything like this. They saw a miracle and were amazed. But when the very Son of God was standing before them, preaching the word of God and forgiving the sins of men. They were unamazed. 
They did not see anything and therefore they doubted. Brothers and sisters, I wonder how often we do the same with our own salvation. Are we sometimes unamazed at our salvation? Maybe our salvation just doesn't feel as tangible and visible and vibrant as it once did. We tend to forget how much we've been forgiven of. Are we still in awe of a God who would condescend to earth in order to die in our place so that we might have eternal life and be with him forever? Do we still praise and thank God for salvation and his persevering grace towards each one of us? Are we amazed at the opportunity we have to present that same gospel to others? Are we eager to share the gospel with others? Does the fact that we have been given eternal life still bring us to our knees in worship and praise and adoration and thanksgiving? Let us not be like the unbelievers in this text who questioned in their hearts. Let us not be more concerned with God's physical and visible provision, answering my prayers exactly the way that I pray them, Jesus, than we are at the fact that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. The truths of the gospel that our souls are saved is the greatest miracle we could ever have trusted the Lord for and that we have received by his grace, if you're a believer this morning. And so, in closing, we have a great high priest who never asks the wrong questions. Jesus prioritized preaching the word to those people in that house on that day because he is the word. But his word has also been divinely and graciously been preserved for us. We can press into his word and hear his teachings today. Jesus also did for us the most loving thing anyone has ever done for any other human when he died in our place. And as the friends did, we now have this amazing privilege and responsibility even to take that gospel to others and bring people into Jesus' presence so that they too, by God's grace, may taste and see. And finally, Jesus did not respond to the faith of the friends for a particular work. He responded to their faith in who he is. Do we believe that? Do we believe that he is a good God with good plans that will ultimately result in his glory every time and our good? And knowing that, knowing that he is in fact who he claimed to be in this text when he forgave the sins of the lame man, our Savior, and knowing that he will accomplish all of his purposes according to the counsel of his will is an eternal comfort. So let us not rest, let us not rest in what we know, but in who we know. And, and eternally greater, let us not just rest in who we know, but in who knows us, our Savior Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you came down, lived the life we could not live to make it possible 
make it possible that sins could be forgiven and that we could one day stand before God righteous because of you, because of what you accomplished on the cross for us. Lord, forgive us when we look to our physical needs more than we look for your glory in every circumstance. Lord, help us not to think that we know exactly what we need and we know exactly when and how you need to answer our prayers, but that we will have faith that you will work for your glory and for our good and that you will do for us what is the most and have done for us the most loving thing that you could have done by laying down your life for us. We thank you and we love you, Jesus Christ. Amen.